So a man was telling his friend, let me ask you a question first. Do you consider yourself a good neighbor? Why did State Farm just pop into my head? No, do you, do you think you're a pretty good neighbor? I mean, would your neighbor think, say you're a good neighbor? And we all have these, some of us are blessed we have good neighbors, and some of us have, eh, some of us have really bad neighbors. It's like, oh boy, I'm considering moving because it's so bad. Um, a man was saying to his friend, he said, uh, he says, I'm, I'm convinced my neighbor is spying on me. And the guy goes, well, how do you know? Why would you say that? He says, I saw him, he was Googling my name on his computer. He goes, well, how did, how did you see him doing that? Well, I was looking at him through my telescope. <laughs> A wife said to her husband, you know, the neighbor woman kisses her husband every day when, you know, she leaves the door. He kisses her every day when, she goes, when he goes, goes off to work. Why don't you do that? He thought about it. He said, well, I don't know her very well. <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about non-neighbors because the person that questions Jesus today, the religious person that questions Jesus says, I think there are people in my life that are non-neighbors, that I don't have to be neighbors to them and I don't really want to. And I think that's okay. And he's gonna get it, Jesus is gonna get into a little bit of a debate with a guy. And we're gonna look at the story of the Good Samaritan. If you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 and right around verse 25 is where we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna drop in. And Jesus, we have the context of why this parable, why, many times Jesus would tell a story because somebody was, and he wanted to illustrate a principle, so he kind of told a story to illustrate, which is really good because the stories are fantastic. Um, but look at, look, at what, look at how this story goes. Luke 10, 25, you there? All right. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So you see what he's doing here. You see the context here. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. Good question. What is written in the law? He replied. This is Jesus replying. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But <laughs> this is where the story comes in. But he wanted to justify himself. Don't we want to do that? All the time we want to justify ourselves. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is where we get to the story of the uh, Good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened by going down the same road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, by the way, that's the punchline. But a Samaritan, 
Uh, it would be more like this in the minds of the people that heard it. But a Samaritan, pooh, okay, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Or some translations might have, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which, so Jesus asked this question, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, and I think the tone was like our kids give us sometimes when we try to hammer a lesson to them. The one who had mercy on him, you know. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do the same. All right, so some observations. The expert of the law is trying to trip Jesus up. He's not honestly looking for an answer. He's trying to get Jesus caught up in some controversy. It's very obvious as you read through the Gospels that over and over and over, Jesus was asked these questions. This isn't the first time he's at, been asked this question. He was probably asked this question numerous times, probably by people who had better motives. But this guy has bad motives because he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to show himself, look at what I know, look at what I am, who I am, right? The lawyer would have known the Shema. Now, what do I mean by the Shema? Some of you say, well, he's throwing these words out. I don't know what they mean. Shema is a word that, it's a Hebrew word that means hear. And there's a portion of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter six that the Hebrew people call the Shema. Now, why do they call it the Shema? Because the first phrase of it is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that word hear is the Hebrew word for Shema. So this is a very important passage for the Jewish people. And uh, they would know, he, the, this lawyer would have known that first part of it where it says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. He would have known that. You would have also known Leviticus 19.18. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He would have known those passages. Those would have been the very basic passages that he would have learned as a Hebrew young boy and as a scholar, he would have heard them over and over and over. Now the question is, how, when, when, when he asks the question, the lawyer asks Jesus the question, well, who is my neighbor? What do you think he's thinking should be the right answer? Because he and Jesus are on different pages, right? They're not thinking the same way. He's probably thinking, well, my family and my friends and the people I like, those are my neighbors. Uh-oh, that's kind of how we operate, isn't it? We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But he probably thought that. He could probably say, if that's the answer, my friends, my family, the people that I like, those are my neighbors. 
He could probably know, I've done that since I've been a little boy. So Jesus tells the parable. But here's the thing. What he's going here, he is trying to come up with a category called non-neighbor. This person is not my neighbor. I don't have to be neighborly to them. I don't have to help them. I don't have to care for them. I don't care about them, and they're my non-neighbor. And it could be tied to race. It could be tied to a whole bunch of things, political parties, you know, whatever. You, could, you can come up with a lot of reasons. But the question, the lawyer is basically saying, is it okay for me to have non-neighbors? So Jesus tells the story. So let's, let, let's just uh, talk a little bit about the parts of the parable, the cultural things that maybe we in our culture, in our time, we wouldn't get the nuances. The first thing is Jericho Road. So the Jericho Road went through a rocky, it was rocky desert uh, terrain that descended about 3,600 feet, I guess it is, from Jerusalem to Jericho, okay? So it was... Um, kind of a windy, and it went, how many miles did it say here? It says uh, 17 miles, okay? So it's a windy kind of a, you know, kind of a difficult walk. They're going downhill. But it was dangerous because there were bandits and robbers all over the road. Uh, they, it was notorious for people getting beaten up like this man and robbed. The priest... Um, deliberate, and it's interesting, it, 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 as you read it, it said that he went on the other side. And that's a nice way to put it because the Greek word has the idea that he did everything he could to avoid that guy. Like if, if, if there was a rail and there was a little walkway on the edge, he would have walked on the edge. He wanted to be on, out of that guy's, per he didn't want anything to do with him. That's the point it's making. He didn't walk over and say, hey, you okay? Hey, he just like, just, you're not on my radar. You're not on my radar. You're not a neighbor. You're not a neighbor. That's kind of what he's doing here. Now, this priest would have been seen as the upper class of religious society. He would have been well thought of by the people. He would have been looked up to. Every Hebrew mother's dream was that her son would be a priest. And, you know, obviously you couldn't because you had to be a certain tribe and all that. But ultimately, it was a very important uh, position. Now, the question is, why did this priest avoid this Man, because we, we have no idea who this man is. We don't know what his race is. We don't know, you know, what happened. We don't know any of that. So there's a number of reasons that scholars have said, well, this is probably why he, he in his own mind, justified calling him a non-neighbor and just passing by. Number one, he probably had just finished doing temple service. So he, the last thing he wanted to do was help the man who could be dead. Now, if he was dead, and you know, you check and see if there's life, if that means you've touched a dead body. If you touch a dead body, then you're unclean for a period of time. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to go through the hassle of that. He'd probably been away from family, and the last thing he wanted to do was to have to separate some more over a period of time. 
Secondly, they said, well, he may have been in fear for his life. He may have said, well, listen, those bandits could still be around. Those robbers might still be around, and I might be the number two guy laying there in, in a few minutes. I need to get out of here. All right, so that's the priest. The Levite, so the Levite would be somebody who helped out. They could have done janitorial uh, or moved things around in the temple. They were gatekeepers. They were sometimes musicians. And so this Levite is trailing the, the priest. So the priest is, you know, a ways ahead, and there were probably switchbacks, so he knew the priest was there. They probably just got done doing temple service together. And so he comes. He does exactly the same thing that the priest did. He avoids the body and doesn't even check, doesn't even stop, doesn't even slow down. And you say, well, why did he do it? Well, probably for the first two reasons. Number one, he didn't want to become unclean. Number two, he was afraid for fear of his life because maybe there were bandits still there. And number three, he probably did what we all do. Well, he didn't stop. <laughs> he's, he's more important than me. If he didn't do it, why should I? You ever had that conversation with your kids? I remember my mom a number of times saying, well, if, if your brother jumps off a cliff, are you going to follow him? I don't know. Is it in water? <laughs> but, you know, it's that excuse. It's that whole, uh, it's not my problem. Now, just so you know, the priest and the Levite were the ultimate insiders. They were the ones that people looked up to. They were the ones that were supposed to be leading the religious, you know, this is how you should live, and this is what a moral life looks like, and this is what a life pleasing to God looks like, that you, you, you do these things. So they were looked up to. They were seen as the path of righteousness. They were expected to do the right thing. So then we come to the one person who does stop, and he's a Samaritan. Now, what would they have expected? They would have expected another Jewish person, maybe a lay, you know, lay Jew or, you know, some, you know it's just a lay person. They, that's who they would have expected. But it wasn't. It was a Samaritan. And the Samaritans were not liked by the Jews. That's a nice way of saying it. Kind of hated. They were kind of like, the ones that were, everything is wrong with them and everything is right with us. It was highly um, divided. So this would have been the punchline, the surprise of the parable. His audience would have experienced, uh, would expected, you know, maybe a lay Israelite or an ordinary Jew. But most of the Jews would see the Samaritans as their non-neighbors. I don't have to have anything to do with those people. Now, let's just stop for a minute. We have a lot of those people categories today, don't we? And we kind of, and I'm just, sometimes we as Christians think, I don't have to be nice, or I don't have to serve, or I don't have to care about those people. Well, what's the lesson? Jesus is saying this hated Samaritan was nearer to the kingdom of God than the pious, righteous priest and Levite. Oh, that's, that's a punch. That's a gut punch. I mean, th if they had heard that, they would have gone, what? 
All right, so that, that's kind of the meat of the parable. Let's talk about how it applies to us. Let's take a few minutes and do that. Um, number one, you don't get to choose your neighbors. Jesus is saying you just don't get to choose your neighbors. We want to choose our neighbors. We want to say neighbor, non-neighbor, neighbor, non-neighbor, neighbor, non-neighbor. You don't get to choose your neighbors. The story of the Good Samaritan is we have unmet neighbors around us that God has sovereignly placed into our lives that we have a responsibility to help them. We can't do everything for everyone, but we can do something for some people. And, and God is... I want to just stop for a minute. Let me just say this. God has made everyone in his image. We are all image bearers, image Dale. We are all image bearers. And so therefore, we are required to show, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you love God, you don't get to choose who you're going to love and who you're not going to love, who you're going to help and who you're not going to help. You don't get to, ch you don't get to choose. If God has brought somebody across your path and you can help them, you should do something. Now, let me just say this for a minute. Um, the real question is not what must I do, but what will I do? It shouldn't be something that you do out of duty. Let me read a couple verses because I, wanna, I want you to hear this. The, the phrase that is an incredible phrase, it says that when the Samaritan, this hated Samaritan, saw the man. It said he had compassion. He had compassion. So I said, well, this would be interesting to see how that, that phrase, had compassion, how does it, where do we see that in the New Testament? We see it all, it's all over the New Testament. And guess who's the one who's the, who's the subject of having compassion? Well, let me read it. Let me give you a few verses. Matthew 14, 14 says this. When Jesus landed, he was on a boat. When he landed on the shore and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed the sick. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Luke chapter 7, verse, uh, by the way, there's 10 to 15 of these passages. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 12, as, as he approached the town gate, this is Jesus, a dead, per, uh, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out for her. He had compassion. And he said, don't cry. Two weeks ago, we talked about the, the uh, prodigal son. And it says, when the son, came the son was coming back to the father, the father saw him and had come passion. Can I make a, I'm going to make a statement right now, and I'm talking mainly to Christians. Christians want to lead with the law. They want to condemn people. They want to call, call out their sin, and they want people to acknowledge their sin, confess their sin, repent of their sin, and then I will show compassion. We lead with law. We don't lead with grace. Now, let me just give a disclaimer. I don't feel like I should have to, but I will. Sin is sin. 
what the Bible says is sin is sin. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is leading with compassion and not with law. With not, with not leading with judging people, but leading with compassion to help people. We want people, we, we are very good at condemning people, but we're not very good at showing compassion. And over and over and over, what Jesus is doing is showing compassion to sinners. And that's what we're called to do. But you know what? The church doesn't have that label. I, I look at our world. I see what's happening in our world today. It's on a highway to hell. I get that. People living lawless lives. Guess what? They were in Jesus' day too. And they have been since creation. That's not changed. But why can't we approach with compassion? Think about this for a minute. We like to choose who our neighbors are gonna be, and Jesus is saying, you don't get to do that. Not if you wanna please me, not if you're one of my followers, you, you just do it. You don't need to do everything. But you can do, because sometimes we get overwhelmed. I don't know about you, but I sometimes look at our world and I get so overwhelmed and I say, I can't worry about that. All I can take care of is what can I do and be faithful to the opportunities that God gives to me. If you see somebody in need and you have the, you have the ability and you have the resources to help them, you should help them. If God brings them sovereignly into your life, it's for a reason. I, I love the parable, I don't really like how it ends for some people, but it's the parable of the sheep and the goats. You know the parable? So the parable is, I'll separate the sheep and the goats, and, and he talks about, he says, he says, you helped me when I needed help, and, and he said, you brought me, you visited me when I was in prison. You gave me water when I thirsted. You gave me bread when I, when I was hungry. You gave me clothes when I was naked. You were there. And they go, I don't remember that. You, I don't remember that. Do you remember that? He says, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for my, least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. What is Jesus saying there? You were good Samaritans. You were good Samaritans. There are people, I'm gonna to try to get you on the other side of the equation. So the equation is be a good neighbor. Reach out to people that maybe you don't agree with or they're difficult or whatever. But if God brings them across your path, be a good neighbor to them. You don't get to choose and say, no, they're non-neighbors. Because they don't believe politically like me, they don't believe in a lot of different, they're arrogant, whatever, whatever, whatever. You don't get to do that. That's the point, that's the point. All right, so. There are people in your life, think about this, that God sovereignly sent into your life to help you during difficult times, difficult periods of your life. They may be family members, they may be strangers, they may be friends, they may, acquaintances, but they were there when you needed them. 
You look back, right now faces are coming, names are coming to your mind. And you, you would say, if, if, if I were to ask you, say, God brought this person into my life at the right time to help me when I needed help and they were there for me. Sovereignly brought them into my life and used them to bless me and help me. Okay, that's this side of the equation where they helped you. Is it possible, and it's not just possible, and you know this, that God wants to do the same with your life to help other people? And you'll be the one that they'll say, God brought this person into my life because the only way I can think about it is it was a divine appointment as I see it, and they helped me and they encouraged me. And I'm so thankful. That's the point that Jesus is making. This person left for dead is going to, you know, obviously if it was a you know, real story, he would have said, I want to tell you about the guy who is amazing. I don't even know who he is to this day, but he came and he helped me. He was sent by God. You don't get to opt out. You don't get to opt out. Here's the second lesson. Having the right answers doesn't make you righteous. See, this, this teacher of the law basically says, I have all the right answers. Go ahead, quiz me. I know them all. I've got all the right answers. This is a problem within evangelicalism today. Evangelicalism is built on the idea that the more knowledge and the more answers that I have and the more knowledge I have, the more righteous I am. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's not quite right. Yeah, you don't really quite right have that right. It says in there very clearly he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to show off. This is our problem today. The man was trying to show that he was in because he had the right answers, but he didn't have the right answers, and Jesus was trying to show him, you don't have all the answers right. And, you know, here's the problem. So often we think, if I just have the right information and I have the right answers, then I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You can have all the right answers and still be lost, though. You can have all the right doctrine and still be lost. In the end, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Jesus says this. This is Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do, do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what, he, what they are like. They are like a man who, uh, building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood came and the torrent struck the, that house, uh, it, it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Here's the point. The storms in life reveal what you truly believe, who you truly love. They do. They, they take away all the crap and they show what's left. And the last two years have really revealed in many people's lives who they really believed or what they really believed and who they really were. 
They, they strip it off everything. And the weight of the storm shows. I mean, in good weather, if there's two houses and they, one has a good foundation and one has a bad foundation, you have no idea. They both look good. Maybe you bought a house. It looked really good. Now you got in a storm and you go, oh, man, this house is a mess. Storms reveal that. But, but the, the point I want you to see is that this religious leader got, became before Jesus and the priests and the Levites, basically, they would be part of this whole thing. And they would say, it's important to just have all the right answers, the right doctrine. If I have all the right answers and the right doctrine, I'm good. But if your heart is far from God, it doesn't matter what you know, because you don't really know it. I want to just say this to some of you who are new believers that feel intimidated and overwhelmed because you say, I don't know anything about the Bible. I feel like a complete idiot. And I'm with a whole bunch of people who are very knowledgeable about the Bible. I will just tell you this. You can have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ with virtually no knowledge. And frankly, we are probably not living up to the knowledge we already have. I mean, if you just took the two commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind, your soul and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and you went out for the next year and lived that out, the implications of those two commands, if you just did that, you would probably obey and follow most of the other, Jesus said, all of them are kind of contained in that. But this, this religious knowledgeable man comes to Jesus and says, I know the law, I know the Shema, I know all of that stuff, but I still believe that I can have non-neighbors because I don't really like those people. And Jesus says, no, you, you don't understand that Leviticus passage then. The implication is you don't get to choose non-neighbors. All right, let's close with this one. Who did you identify with in the story? When we're going through the story, when you've read the story before, who do you identify with? Most of us would say, oh, the Samaritan, and you should, right? Because isn't that Jesus' point? Jesus' point is identify with the Samaritan. He did the right thing. He saw somebody in need. He had the ability to do something, and he did something. Check, 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 good job, right? So we should identify with the Good Samaritan. We should be Good Samaritans. That's, you know, truly, that's right. And maybe that's your takeaway today, that I've been excluding people. I've created this whole category called non-neighbor because of political issues, because I just don't like them, because they have a gender identity that I just, I think that's all nonsense and uh, you, you list, list whatever issues you wanna make. But I get to choose, they're not my neighbor and I don't have to worry about them and I don't have to care about them and now I know I'm forgetting they're made in the image of God and I know I'm forgetting that Jesus says I can't do that but I still feel pretty good about that. All right, so we know, okay, identifying with a good Samaritan, you know, we should do that, and that's certainly part of what this passage is teaching. But if we're going to go a little deeper, 
Did, she, did any? You don't have to raise your hands because this could be a tremendously embarrassing. Or it could be actually very honest. You, you identify with the priest and the Levite. Say, I, I exclude people all the time. I have a bunch, of, I could list you my non-neighbor people groups. I mean, we, we have a phrase for non-neighbors. We call them those people. Whoever those are, you know, there's multiple categories. You could throw a bunch of people into that those people category. And, and, and most of us would say, yes, I, if I'm honest, I'm a priest and I'm a Levite because I see bodies laying there every day and I don't give a rip about them. I just don't care. I don't care. Do you identify with them? The priest and the Levite? Maybe we should. Maybe we say, yeah, that's kind of that's how I've been operating, really. Here's the third person that most of us probably didn't think of identifying with. The person laying dead on the, half dead on the road. Why would I identify with that person? Because that's who you are. That's who I am. That's who we all are. The Bible says while we were dead in our sins, Christ came. Right? What this parable is saying to us is this, that Jesus is the good Samaritan. He is the one who came and rescued us when we were laying half dead on the road, when we couldn't save ourselves, when we couldn't help ourselves, when the, the, the representations of religious righteousness walked by us and left us dead, it was Jesus who picked us up, bandaged our wounds. He didn't just risk his life. He gave his life. He put us on his horse and took us to the inn and paid the price that we could not pay. That is who everyone in this room and watching is. We are the one left for dead. And until we understand we were the one left for dead, and if it hadn't been for the one who came as a rescue party of one for us, who didn't cross over on the other side, but entered in, until we see that, until we understand that deep in our heart, how in the world are we going to show compassion and love? How are we going to lead if we haven't even understood it in our own life? We were helpless. We were hopeless. He was the one who rescued us. He was the one who didn't just offer his life or risk his life. He gave his life. He was the one who paid the price that we couldn't pay. This is what we celebrate at communion on a monthly basis. We remember the price that he paid for us. So who do you identify with? Hopefully all three. Hopefully, all three of us, three of them. We're the, we're the Samaritan, hopefully. 
we're going to leave today as we stop watching or if we leave this place and we're to say, God, I believe that you don't bring people in my life path accidentally. There's a sovereign plan that you have. And you may not ask me to do everything, but you're just asking me to do what I can do with what you've given me. And I want to be generous with that. And I want to be your Samaritan to the people you bring into my life today, tomorrow, this week, and this year. Maybe it's a time of, of really self-examination where you say, I have too many categories of those people. I have non-neighbors. I've got to destroy that category and I've got to get over it. Maybe you come to a place and you'll say, you know, I never realized that I was the one left for dead. And you put yourself laying on the road and you, you, you experience the one who came and lifted you up and gave his life so that you could live and took your sins so that you could be forgiven. And you are, it does two things. Number one, it, it helps you to see what compassion looks like in real life, but it also helps you to, ha, uh, to touch into the heart of God that he has a love for you and he wants you to show that love for others, that sacrificial, dangerous love that he shared with us. And we, we, we become, we lead now with grace. We see others with eyes of grace instead of eyes of judgment and condemnation. We, 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 we look to God and we say, I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful. What can I do? How can I serve you? What can I do? And he's already told us. Here it is. Jesus, okay, I've already told you what you do. Now go. Do it. So, Good Samaritan, right? There's a lesson in there for everyone, isn't there? Don't take them all. Don't make a list of 10 things I need to do because it's not really about that. Just say, what is the one thing that needs to change in my life today that God's word would make me into the person he wants me to be? If you do that, you will be faithful to this message and to this word. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Help us, Father, because without your help, we can't do this. Thank you for this incredible story that has so many lessons. We have just tapped the surface of it. There's so much depth here. There's so many amazing things here. Father, help us to just be the good Samaritan and to see that there are no categories called non-neighbors or those people. Help us to, to lead with compassion and grace as your son did. Father, help us to um, understand that we sometimes do play the role of the priest and the Levite. Help us not to be overwhelmed and try to do everything but help us to do something. And Father, help us to just meditate and reflect on that time when Jesus found us laying half dead on the side of the road and gave up everything so that we could live. And may our heart be filled with that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.